Boston throws it down. Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up three pointer. Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! Welcome to the NBA! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. We are back again. Another exciting week of NBA news. Got my buddy Ronan here. What's going on, man? How you doing across the pond there? I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting, I'm, I'm excited, excited for, for, for this week's episode. There's been a lot going on in terms of actual on-court action over, over, the, last, uh, over the last week. So I'm eager to get into it with you. Yeah, it doesn't stop. I'm like thinking, how can we break this all down into like one episode, just the amount of stuff that's happened over the past week. Um, and we couldn't think of a good segment name for this. So this is everything that's happened in the past week since we've recorded in 10 minutes or less. It's not catchy, but we'll just have to have a run. So first things first, Fred Van Vliet, 54 point explosion. He now holds the highest point game in Raptors history. He has the highest point uh, total for any undrafted uh guy ever in the nba it was 53 from uh from the mailman Carl Malone, and that game was nuts he went 17 for 23 from the field he went 11 for 14 from three and a perfect nine for nine from the free throw line uh initial reaction to that i did not expect this from him i thought he was going to be kind of a disappointment for the contract he got but he's he's making his money's worth yeah, no, he's, he's just doing what was asked for him. I don't think it was ever expected that this guy was going to lead them back to be another championship contender by himself. But I think he was just, they wanted him out there being an efficient scorer. And uh, <laughs> that game, that game was a little bit, a little bit higher than just being an efficient scorer. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. And it got, uh, it got DeMar DeRozan excited to, to, uh, to burn Kyle Lowry, which was, uh, which is pretty fun to see. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great, great game for Van Vliet and he's you see the video going around of, of his uh, the party he had on, on draft night when he had to let everyone know that he wasn't drafted and it's, yeah. it was kind of heartbreaking and then you get yeah. to see him doing this after getting the big contract and, and it's great to see he's not the only name in the league just got to name drop a few of these other guys they're undrafted uh, players that are fulfilling big roles around the league you have Wesley Matthews got my boy Christian Wood Balling out in Houston, Robert Covington, Joe Ingles, Derek Jones Jr., Aaron Baines, Michael Green. There are a lot of guys who have just really carved their way into this league, despite not having that that draft acumen to get them into the lottery, to get them even in two rounds. So, big ups to Fred VanVleet. Big ups to these other guys still grinding away in the league. And another team that we used to think as grinders, the Miami Heat. 
Got to talk about them really quick. They've lost 10 of their last 13, and they lost last night to the historically bad Washington Wizards team without Russell Westbrook. And this is a culmination of a lot of bad losses. You got that 47-point loss to the Bucks. You got that loss to the Pistons. They blew a 10-point lead to the Hornets. Are they the team that overachieved last year and maybe they're really not as good as we thought they were? Or are they a team that can get it back together and make it to the finals again? It's, 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 it's a weird one because, of course, they have had issues this year so far with, with COVID and, and with injuries sure. to some of their key players. So you kind of don't want to judge them too harshly, but now they've got their players back, so it's kind of time for them to kick into gear. So if they're still in this kind of form, maybe two, three weeks from now, you could kind of start to look at this being a team that that majorly overachieved last year. Unless they make a move before the trade deadline, they they uh, they're probably just going to be a, a first or second round playoff team this year and not really challenging for that final spot again. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the trade deadline. Perhaps they're another team who is betting on their current squad, is betting on their young players, is betting on continuity, that maybe didn't want to give up too much in that James Harden sweepstakes. Maybe they have a little bit of uh, the opposite of buyer's regret. Uh, regret. I, don't, I don't know what that is, non, non-buyer's regret. <laughs> they could have, they, they were rumored to have been involved in the James Harden trade, pulled out. A lot of reports are saying a lot of it had to do with keeping Tyler Hero. Um, you wonder if Jimmy Butler... How much longer are they going to fail to make that same sort of impact that they did last year until maybe he makes some noise? Time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, speak, speaking of the Brooklyn Nets, they, they were involved of, uh, in uh, two of the bigger games uh, that taken place over the last week. They had that that huge uh, defeat against Washington. It was, only, it was only by a couple of points in the end, but it was a, it was a very high-scoring game, and that just showed the complete lack of defense that this Brooklyn team has. And of course, the quality that Beal and Westbrook still possess, even in the struggling Washington team. And then they go up against the Clippers mm-hmm. and they just show the power of the big three. And all three of their guys were just Harden, Durant, Irving. They're all c- unbelievable. And they outlasted the very informed Clippers. So this week was very interesting. You got to see both sides of the coin of this Brooklyn team sort of and the way it's 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 split opinion whether that's just you look at it as they have too much offense to fail or you look at it as they got to make some defensive changes or else they're only going to get so far absolutely and the just that the terrible it was a 48 point fourth quarter against the wizards that led to that ridiculous um game winner from russell westbrook who after the game went and said I'm the best damn teammate Kevin Durant's ever had. And I just, I just love that. I love that. He, he knew he had to make a statement there and he did it against his former teammate and he did it in a way that, you know, defies this just all around bad season for Russell Westbrook, but for the Nets to bounce back from that, for the Nets to go against the Clippers who right now are proving that they are a top three team in the league. They've been top five in offense and defense you got both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard shooting 50, 40, 90. You have Nicholas Batum revitalizing his career there. Um, I mean, what one asterisk we have to put on this game is, of course, you don't have Patrick Beverly out there. Maybe, you know, Kyrie Irving doesn't 
go off like he did. Maybe they, maybe um, he guards Harden a little bit better. But you know what you saw there was a defense, the defense, the defense, defense. They held the Clippers to 120 points, which maybe when you when you say it out loud, it's like, oh, it's not that impressive. But listen, they almost gave up 150 against the Wizards the other night. I mean, that's that's a massive difference, and for them to have been, you saw they were rotating a lot faster. They were just much more engaged on the defensive end and having uh, Jeff Green out there as a small ball five. I think they're, they're doing that more in a way that's really starting to work. Um, and man, you said it like that comment, that three headed drag, 90 points in that game, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden in that final stretch to come back from that 12 point deficit. I mean, they weren't calling plays. Whoever had the ball, they walked up and they pulled up from three they got to their spot, took a shot. Like they were all undefensible shots. Like, and then you look on the other end, the Clippers who in their own right, I thought they were playing amazing basketball. They were relying on their ball movement. They were relying on getting the ball to their stars, uh, moving the ball around, getting open shots. But really what it came down to is open shots from guys like uh, Jermichael Green and Nicholas Batum versus Kevin Durant taking uh, uncontested three-point jumpers. And, you know, that just gave you the flash of a team that can win a finals that you just play just enough defense and you let one of these three guys go off. If you got all three clicking, it's over. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 scary. it's scary. It's scary on both ends for, for, for the Brooklyn Nets. You just, you, you want to believe that they've got enough, but at the same time, you, you, you want to hope that that, that, that defense crumbles when you're not a fan of Brooklyn, but also that, if they if those three click, you're like, oh god, we're doomed. It's a yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can't think right now of a team that has enough defense. I mean, if if the Clippers are deploying Kawhi Leonard, they're deploying Paul George out there, and they have um, even if Patrick Beverly's on the floor, like it, I, I don't think that anyone really has the firepower to stop this team. And we'll we'll see as a as the season goes on, but. Uh, sticking to our 10 minutes or less theme and sticking to this theme of, you know, you got your beasts of the East versus the best of the West. I want to talk a little bit about the Lakers and their two games this past week, one against 76ers, one against the Celtics, two different results, but very similar stories. The 76ers beat the Lakers by one. It was a contest throughout the whole game. Celtics lose to the Lakers by one. And I, I want to know, like, what did you see in those games? I, I thought they were interesting um, predictors of how each of those teams will fare in the playoffs and ultimately if they make to the championship and we, we all we all kind of are predicting the Lakers are going to try and repeat um, how they matched up I was I was pretty impressed with how both teams matched up yeah absolutely I think the Lakers were just they were kind of in a bit of a slump kind of after that Philly game obviously they had that terrible result against Detroit and I think against the Celtics, there were large periods of the game where the Lakers were a bit sloppy and they kind of got away with the win just because of the, the elite talent within, within the team, especially about that last play where they turned it over and then the Celtics just ended up missing the shot. I mean, that was not Laker basketball we're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. I think they were, they were always bound to go through it. I mean, all, all, no team can be perfect through every game. And I think the way that they started this season has been very impressive then. They just got edged out by Philly. 
then it was a disaster then in Detroit, and they were still kind of sloppy again against Boston, but they were able to get W. And then they had a, that uh, exciting win against uh, Atlanta, which uh, we're, we're only remembering for for the heckling. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, they kind of it looked like they had their slump, but now they're kind of back out of it, and it looks like they're kind of set to go on another run again. And when this team is healthy and they're they're clicking on all, on all. Uh, all areas of the court. I mean, it, it's tough to see anyone getting past them, but you have to say you like you like the way that that they matched up with with both Boston and uh, and Philly. Uh, if that is to be a finals matchup, it, it, it would definitely be a good battle. Absolutely, um, it, it's interesting to see how both of these teams have have competed against LeBron and his what sometimes looks like an unbeatable Lakers squad. Um, 76ers just going to Embiid over and over and over again and relying on Tobias Harris as a really steady uh, offensive threat and their defense like they have just these huge wings that they can deploy and and fight off uh, the Lakers on their wing and then the Celtics their their style of basketball I, th- I thought has been you know the way you see that Kawhi and Paul George have, have developed this synergy of scoring um, seeing that develop in Boston and seeing them do it with the best um, Jalen Brown and, and uh, Jason Tatum, they're not beaten up on little East teams. They're taking it to the best. And I think it'll be interesting to see who ends up uh, making it out of the East, but both of them definitely made their, their impact known on the Lakers and they've got their number. I, that'll be an interesting seven game series, whoever ends up making it out there. Um, but while we're on the topic of the West, I want to talk about a couple teams here. Um, we had previously talked about the Jazz and how they're on this impressive um, 10-game win streak. And they made it to 11, and they couldn't make it to 12. The Nuggets were in the way of that. The Nuggets, a team that has been up and down, mostly down, beginning of this weird COVID season. They're actually one of the teams that has not really been affected by COVID that much, except for um, loss of Michael Porter Jr., a team that Murray's been inconsistent. They don't have Jeremy Grant. Uh, they're missing Mason Plumley, um, but they snap the Jazz win streak, and they do it pretty handily. Um, Jokic matched his career high of forty-seven points. He scored, it was almost thirty points in the first half alone, and he just looked unstoppable against a two-time Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert. And Jazz couldn't do anything about it. They changed their defensive scheme at least three times that game. Couldn't stop Jokic, and out of these last seven games, the Nuggets have won six and their offensive rating, which was in the 20s, has jumped all the way back up to fourth and their defensive rating, they're up to 18th. They're looking like a team that is back to where they were last year, but it doesn't look like that with Murray being a star. It doesn't look like that with Michael Porter Jr. having this MIP type season. It's all through Jokic and everyone else by committee. Have, do you think that uh, maybe we've changed our, our minds a little bit on, on their trajectory this season? Yeah, it's kind of, it's an interesting one. I think the way the Jazz have played so far this year, it's kind of, they've really been hot from three. So, I mean, when they go cold from there, it's kind of tough for them to to really build enough offense against teams that kind of match up well against them, such as the Nuggets. So I think the Nuggets were able to expose that that, uh, weakness in, in the Jazz's game and they were cold. For, for early parts of, of that uh, of that game from three and that and the Nuggets built up a big lead and, and the Jazz just weren't able to get anywhere close to them. But Jokic has just been so impressive this year. He looks 
like a much improved athlete. I think we always knew what a talented player he was, but physically he's really, I think he's looking as good as he's ever looked uh, in, in, in a Nuggets uniform. And I think the way that they're playing, if, if they get Murray back to the form he showed in the bubble, Michael Porter Jr. continues his improvement this year and, and keeps on showing up in important moments. And I think this this is very much still a Nuggets team that you have to be worried about if you're playing in the Western Conference. Yeah, they, they've shown it. Um, maybe that, that's a discussion for another day uh, in terms of what, what we make of Murray and uh, Michael Porter Jr., the latter of which has just looked absolutely abysmal on the defensive end. Uh, but um, they, they, have, they have proven that by committee. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Compazzo is their second star. I don't know if you watch him. <laughs> that guy is so fun to, so fun to watch. Um, but there's someone to be worried about. And the other team that we thought we should have been worried about, the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic, we thought that they were going to be the team at the top of their game this season. We thought that they were going to be um, pushing for, you know, a top four seed this year. They're sitting at 13th in the West. They're on a six-game skid. They've lost to Houston, Denver, and consecutive games to both Utah and then Phoenix, other teams that are really in their same tier that they should be competing against, they should be beating. And I think an interesting part of the season is that you have back-to-back games. Like you have, you had our, uh, our Knicks and Bulls playing each other one night, two nights later, they get to game plan. Tom Thibodeau figures it out, notices that the Bulls don't know how to defend the paint for their lives. And I don't even want to know how many points they scored last night on them. But there's there's an interesting uh, gaming that coaches can have to change up their lineups, change up how their game plan is going to be. And the Mavericks, with the amount of talent that they had, just shouldn't have lost all their games in a row like that. And I'm wondering, you know, we, we, we talked about the Heat, how they were overachieving last year. Um, bless you. But – what's what's going on with the Mavericks here I, I I don't I don't really I can't really figure it out obviously their shooting is down but is this just a classic case of underdogs last year overachieving yeah this excitement around Luka Doncic and maybe they've lost that underdog mentality maybe that's just not there anymore yeah it could be I think at this moment Luka is quoting a very very frustrated figure you can see that in his game. Like he's still scoring very well, but you still feel like he's not having the best season. And it's it's been weird. Obviously, Porzingis had that knee surgery. He's only just after kind of getting back into his groove. Tim Hardaway has been pretty impressive, but they lost Seth Curry and the guys that they've been able to bring in just really haven't really had any sort of positive impact. And it's just it's just not working for Dallas at this moment. I think it's still boils down to Luca when he is at 100% and he's playing his best basketball the you'll see a rise in the wing column for this Dallas team but at the same time they got to be exploring some trades before the deadline because it's not it's not looking good for them right now and they they got to do something about it if they want to be in the playoffs and want to even be any sort of contention in the playoffs this year just to look fun like they haven't they haven't looked they haven't looked fun and that that's that's the thing the non-stats the non uh analytical way of looking at it when you watch them they don't have that same shimmer they had last year it, it things just seem more difficult and i think a lot of that 
has to do with, uh, you know, teams are, are figuring out that if they can stop the Luka pick and roll, which usually you can't, but if you throw everything at that, um, they, they found ways to, to work around um, how they were so good last year. And, and just look at some of these stats here. So last season, the Mavs were f- the fourth best team in the league at connecting on spot-up jumpers. And they generated 1.06 points per possession, which is a lot. This year, they're number 27 in the league in that same category. Last year, they were one of the best teams of all time in offense. And right now, they're just below average. And I I do think it comes down to a trade. I do think it comes down to Luca hitting his shots. Maybe Porzingis gets that rust off. Um, I definitely think they need more continuity with Josh Richardson because, I mean, he's shooting a career low. Finney Smith is shooting a career low. I mean, Luka Doncic is shooting a career low. Like, they're all down. I, I, see, I see this as that as opposed to the Heat, they have the talent. They have the, the makeup. I, I think that they should get better. But um, there's, there's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas in the NBA right now. And you just got to produce. We got to see it happen or else they're going to be in the play-in tournament. And that's going to be a tough look for them if they're staring in the face of a play-in tournament and then facing the Lakers or Clippers. That's going to be a tough way for them to – end a season where Doncic was supposed to be the the favorite for MVP but um as as usual typical theme here on coast to coast um we don't stay on time this has not been the 10 minutes or less this has been the 20 minutes or less so um we got we got uh almost there we got halfway there but we want to jump here now to uh debate you've been wanting to talk about we mentioned a couple of these guys um the rise of the big man in the NBA so there's a few guys we want to talk about here, but uh, interesting enough, I, I, I want to pose a question that is this notion that you can't win with the big man as your best player. You can't uh, win with uh, paying a five, all that money. We talked about it when Rudy Gobert got all that money. Is, is that something you can do? Is that notion going away that the big man is dead? The post is dead. I think it is, but only with the big man developing their game more because because i think the biggest when you when you want to really commit to a big big uh, nowadays they've got to be able to be able to score from all three levels really they got to be able to do it all even if it's not even though obviously they have their specialties their inside scoring is going to be better but they got to be at least have defenders thinking that they might be able to pull up from three and, and stuff like that as well. It's it's an involvement uh, from back in the day with the likes of when even the 90s, you think Carmelo, Shaq, that sort of thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's an involvement from that, that sort of stage, but it's definitely returning to a time when you can build your team around big men and big men can be the driving force behind championship teams. Yeah. And, and you think about uh, the guys around the league, you know, you, you kind of think um, about your Devin Bookers, you think about your uh, Jimmy Butler's, you think about your Jason Tatum's, you think about these guards, you think about these wings in terms of up and coming players who are running their teams. But when, when you look across the league, you, you got to remember, you have guys like Bam at a bio, you know, he's not a three level scorer, but he's, Definitely, he's approaching elite as a playmaker. He's a very, very good inside scorer. He's got this mid-range game that is that is really starting to blossom. 
Um, you got Sabonis, who is making his a really great Jokic impression over there in the Pacers. I mean, they they run their offense through him all the time. Can't shoot a three for his life, but the way that he's smart on defense, he can play make on offense and just does all the little things. And you evolve that into guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis, AD, guys who are just multifaceted offensive beasts who can bring it on the defensive end too. And, and you start to realize that, you know, I think a lot of these guys are just in positions where they haven't competed for championships necessarily. Um, I don't think that's necessarily speaking to the big man being dead or them not being able to make it to a championship. I think a lot of it just has to do with their individual team situations, but um, jumping here now, I think it's pretty obvious who are at the top of this discussion. Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, not only are the two best big men in the league, but they're pushing for an MVP discussion here. Um, actually, I didn't even do this, this research before we started talking about it, but I can't think of the last uh, big man that won an MVP. Um, it's escaping me right now, but it, I don't think it's happened for quite a while. And for them to be this far into the MVP discussion, although it's a little early on, um, I think it speaks volumes to how impressive their games have been in the modern NBA. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two guys have just looked, I mean, these, these are always guys we knew had talent, but at the same time, they were kind of the guys where we're like, oh yeah, they can, they can do it, but can they, can they do it at the very elite level? And can they do it consistently over uh, the entirety of the season? And, 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 be the guys that drive their team onto the biggest stages in basketball. And at this moment, of course, still early, but both of these guys, Jokic and Embiid, are really wanting to uh, to take that MVP crown off of Giannis uh, for, for, for this season. And it's how do we how do we tear this out? Because you know, it again, it is early. So, you know, we we can't say some of these guys are in slumps, some of these guys' teams are in slumps, but um you know, if we were to tier these players, are is Jokic and Embiid in a tier of their own? Is have they have they escaped uh, Giannis? Has have they have they created a new level here? Because it right now, early on, it, it kind of feels that way. Giannis is is slumping, even though the Bucks are finding their regular season success, which is usual. Um, I mean, Giannis is still averaging twenty seven points a game, eleven point two rebounds, six assists one block, one steal. And his box score numbers look solid, but then you look at his percentages, you look at his efficiency and they've really taken a dip and especially the free throw numbers. And then you look over at Jokic and Embiid and they are, Embiid's living behind the stripe. He's leading the league in, in free throws. Um, not, not in percentage, but in his pure will to get there, he gets there at the highest percentile in the league and he makes it at 86%. And for Giannis, he's gone from 77% from the line in 2016. He's down all the way to 60. You've seen these fluctuations, and they've trended down every single year. And for a guy that who has played anywhere from the one to the three, the two, the four, to five, like you think that maybe he has enough guard skill to figure out how to shoot. And this pull-up three-pointer hasn't worked. And the turnaround from the mid-range hasn't really worked. And what it's done, I feel like, for Giannis's game, just comparing him to these two other guys is trying to develop his game and push his game out. It's almost given defenses the opportunity to uh, game him. Let, let him take those shots. Let him be inefficient. 
don't let him do what he's good at. And for him to not be able to develop that over the past two seasons, I feel like that has to be a striking difference between how Embiid right now is a 40% shooter. Jokic right now is almost a 40% shooter from three. But both, both these guys, you can't leave them open. Um, that I think that has to be accounted for when we're talking about who's the best big man and maybe even who would we even choose to build a team around if we're talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, obviously, look what, we know what Giannis has done over the last couple of years. He's won two MVPs. He's won Defensive Player of the Year. He's been an all-star the last four years. I mean, he, he's been unbelievably impressive and arguably the most dominant player in the league over the last couple of years. But a big issue for him is the free throw shooting. At the end of the day, the top players, you have to be able to shoot from the stripe. It's called the charity stripe for a reason because <laughs> usually you're fouling the best players and usually the best players are going to sink those buckets. But Yanis is not doing it. And as you said, over the last few years, he's continued to drop that level. And that's a bad sign because he's continued to get to the line more and more. And the more he's dominating inside, the more he's become that that uh, top talent on, on the Milwaukee Bucks. He's going to the line more and he's making less and less shots. And we've already seen it's his Achilles heel. He's already, he's already missed uh, key free throws in, in big moments that, that have cost the Bucks. Mm. And then you look at Jokic and Embiid and you're like, these guys are doing the exact same. They're averaging the same amount of points, same amount of boards. Jokic nearly doing a triple-double. And they, when they get to the line, they're like butter from there. They're, 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 they're making these big shots. And when teams try to fail these guys to stop them from scoring, they're making up the points from the free trial line anyway, unlike Giannis. And that is, as much as you, you can talk about Giannis's great scoring and everything he does for the books on, on both ends of the floor, it's it's a really key thing that he does not have a three a consistent three point shot, and he is really struggling from the the free throw line when like guys like Embiid and like Jokic shooting around 40% each and shooting upwards of 84% from, from the free throw line. These guys are making their case to, to be in the conversation for MVP, no doubt this year. And they're making their case to be the guys to look for when you're thinking of big men over Giannis. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's a difference in game, right? Like Giannis through sheer will. I mean, he goes through guys. He's so athletic. He's so big that he can make these plays throughout the course of a game to, you know, get you up. But I, th I think the difference is, like you said, the, the efficiency, the numbers are there. Um, and when you look at the game, Giannis doesn't have the full arsenal that Jokic has. Jokic has this Dirk like step back from mid range. You and you can rely on it. He, he's not inefficient with it. He can shoot it from three. He could shoot it in someone's face. He can face up. He can post up. He can pass. And I mean, Jokic is doing it like we had mentioned earlier. He's doing it with a motley crew of role players who are who are all solid in their own right. But Jokic isn't doing it with his star. And I think that's one of the more impressive things is is watching how Jokic has elevated his team. Um, I think Embiid Embiid has done it. Although he does have Simmons. Although he does have Harris. Um, 
they've gone to him more times in the post. I mean, he's by far, I think we mentioned this a, a pod or two ago, um, by far the most dominant post player in the league right now. And he's leading the team right now with their full lineup. They are undefeated. So despite, despite uh, if you take out the weird COVID games, they had like seven people, they had to throw in the towel guy at, in the, on the floor to play or something. If you take those out. If you, if you take out when they didn't have Simmons, um, yeah, you have this, this classic, uh, doc rivers, uh, we haven't, we haven't lost yet with our starting lineup and it's true. The, the way that Embiid has been the go-to guy, despite having the, uh, other talent around him, both these guys have proven that they can score at every level. They can defend at a very high level. And we start to debate between the two. I, I'm not sure who I take here. If we're really choosing the guy to build around, um, I, I feel I have a, a feeling you, you might have a little bit of a bias here, but who are you taking? I think Embiid's my guy. I think that's good. I, like, don't get me wrong. If I, if I had the option of either of those guys to be taken, it would be, uh, I'd probably pass out. But I mean, if Embiid, Embiid has been one of my favorite players in the league over the last couple of years. And one thing I've noticed about this year, similar to Jokic, is physically he looks a lot better. I mean, he's still missing the odd game uh, with with kind of kind of recovery and that. But every time he's on the floor, he's playing at one hundred percent. We're not getting any games where he kind of looks like he's playing in pain and he looks a, a step slow or anything like that. When he's on the court, he's playing at one hundred percent and he's doing everything that he has in his arsenal every night where he's out there playing. And that's, that's just huge for him. And the way he plays and the way you can build teams around him, the guy is so capable both ends of the court. And I think that's kind of where he might just edge it over Jokic, his, uh, his defensive ability. But then of course you got Jokic's playmaking, but still, if you're looking for the guy to build your team around and you're looking for a go-to guy in clutch moments and in key moments throughout a season and come playoff time, I think Embiid is is the guy. And the fact that he can score from three levels as this seven-foot beast is just, it's, it's scary and it's so fun to watch. Are you getting a little tired of him flopping though? Be honest. <laughs> Hey, I, once once it works, I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's, it, I, I honestly, it's like one of those Harden debates where everyone is so annoyed with with Harden how he's getting in line all the time. Um, so maybe it's one of those things where you know, just don't foul him. I mean, it's the, it's the opposing team's fault. Don't foul him. And Embiid has mastered this upswing that Chris Paul does all the time to to fake the uh, fake the shot and. and and get guys who are trying to reach in and for him to be getting the line that much, you know, it's, it's done wonders for his game, but sometimes I can't stand it, man. It's like, dude, you are set. You are like easily the biggest person on the floor right now. There is no way this, this six foot four guy just managed to throw you on the ground. It, it, it frustrates me when I, when I watch that all, all game long. That, that, is, that is, that's, that's, a, that is a fair point, but at the end of the day, the best players, they know how to draw fells and they know the importance of getting to the line when they maybe don't have a good shot on and stuff like that. So I think that's that's another another uh, another tick in the right box for for MB because uh, you got it when you're when you're playing 
at the best level, you've got to be able to do it all. And knowing how to win, uh, to earn fails, really, rather than making guys fail you, you actually go out there, you know what you have to do to make that guy fail you. You, you go out and you earn those fails. And I think that's, that's an important uh, component of any, of any top player's game. That's fair. That's, that's very, very political defense. I, I respect it. I'll take it. Jokic, you know, I'll, I, not, not to oppose you here, but I think I would take Jokic and here's, here's why. Um, so I, I don't like advanced stats when you, when you look at them in a, in the minutia, like you can't really look at the small sample size and, and really go to the advanced stats there. But if you look at the course of the whole season last year, um, surprisingly, you know, Joel Embiid is a hundred percentile in, um in opponents points in the paint decreasing their, their percentage at the in the paint Jokic he was 93rd he was actually one tick above uh above Rudy Gobert um I mean I think Jokic has proved that he's maybe not an elite defensive talent but he has great positioning he has great hands um he had one of the highest steal rates among centers last year he's uh a little bit down this year, but I think that his defensive impact is enough to to be a maybe not an anchor, but to keep defenses afloat. And you can't say the same for Embiid. Embiid's definitely a defensive anchor. He's, he's a guy that's gonna really he's a game breaker when he starts blocking shots, when he starts like elevating over LeBron to block him on a fast break. Like there are very few players in the world that could even imagine doing that. Um, but what Jokic does is he brings playmaking from the post, from the top of the key, from any part of the court. And you have to guard everything with him. You have to guard him. You have to guard everybody around you. You can't fall asleep. And defenses need to stay locked in at every second of the game. And Jokic doesn't even have to score. So it, it, sometimes it feels so effortless when the Nuggets go on these runs because they focus so hard on him. And then all of a sudden you, you got people cutting back door. Now you can't be doubling because he's going to see that immediately throw it to the corner, easy three. And I think over the course of the season, you see how the nuggets really start to build this momentum around that. And I think that that's, that's something that maybe you don't get with Embiid. You know, you, you get these, these dominating post performances from Embiid, these uh, dominating scoring and defensive numbers, but the way that Jokic orchestrates the entire game, um, it, it feels, I don't know, it feels Tom Brady-esque maybe. It, it feels like he has control over the pace. He has control over uh, both sides of the ball. And, you know, it, it, reminds, me, it reminds me of uh, LeBron at times, the, the way LeBron can slow down the game, the way LeBron can orchestrate the offense and slow everything down, get into his spots. Um, I, I think that's the most impressive part for me. Yeah, I think uh, the the playmaking is so is so fun to watch Eddie Jokic. I think he he's got that vision like like the likes of of, of uh, LeBron and CP3 to the great passes we've seen in this league. So like even when he's kind of in a position where he's being guarded, and once another defender makes that even half step to go over and double him, he's found that open guy and and. He's just, he's that quick with his passing and he's just, you look, I, I love his game as well. I think that's the biggest thing. Jokic and Embiid are both examples of the evolved modern day big man and they both have different games and that's that's kind of the biggest thing. 
there's not just one role for the for the big uh, playing inside and, and dominating the boards anymore. These guys have different ways of of playing on bo- both ends of the court, but at the same time, these are both guys who are seven foot tall, who can do it all, and both guys that you would love to be able to build a franchise around. Yeah, what's unfortunate is we're not mentioning the likes of Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Um, I, I think this isn't the year for the Timberwolves. Definitely isn't the year for Carl um, Anthony Towns on or off the court. Um, and he's a guy. You know, we, we we mentioned all these qualifiers, being able to score from all three levels, being able to play defense. He fills all those boxes, absolutely, and. I just hope that that team gets gets better so that he can enter this conversation. And he definitely has the talent to be there. Um, maybe we'll even be talking Christian Wood in a couple of years. You know. <laughs> hey, yeah, why not? I mean, at the same time, yeah, he you is killing it. Carl Anthony Towns. I would love nothing more than be able to talk him up because I, I'm a big Carl Anthony Towns guy, and I'm just so disappointed in everything that's happened with Minnesota and all the injuries he's had and everything that's gone on off the court for him. But yeah, hopefully. Maybe it won't be this year, but hopefully, uh, maybe this time next year, we'll be talking. Uh, we'll be talking up uh, big on, on Carol Anthony Towns. Yeah, and and real quick, I mean, does doesn't Anthony Davis deserve to be in this conversation as well? I mean, I think I feel like a lot of people are talking like, oh, he's his scoring percentage is down, uh, his numbers are down. Um, I mean, when you look at it, his usage is down too. You, you got in Dennis Schroeder, you got in a guy who's going to take the ball too, and and. This, this is, it's an interesting trajectory for great players who choose to team up with other great players and they do sacrifice part of their, maybe not legacy, but they, they sacrifice that individual, um, those individual accolades. Cause he's, he's not in the conversation for MVP right now. You know, if, if he was doing it by himself, just like um, Jokic is doing, just like Embiid is doing, he'd, he'd have that. But right now we're kind of seeing him as, oh, he's, He's not really producing as much. He's he's not improving as much. But it's uh it's interesting that his his name is not going to be mentioned in these MVP talks and these top two big talks. Yeah, I think uh, as the season progresses, you're going to see you're going to see AD bounce back. This guy can just he can he can put up 35, 35, 12, and, and five any night of any night of the week. I mean, this guy. He's, he's the prime example of, of a big guy you can rely on and you can build a, a championship team around. We saw it last season. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable for that whole first year in, in LA and throughout the playoffs. And this guy is supremely talented. And I think at the, end of, at the end of the day, he's probably still the big guy that you're taking. If you have your choice of any big in the league, AD is probably still the most versatile, the most athletic big arguably in in the league i think that the fact that he can the way he moves his feet is is just so impressive on the defensive end and he can do just he can do the same maybe he doesn't have the passing of Jokic, but he can definitely match those guys uh, on both ends of the court and i think yeah he's having a bit of a tough time to start the year but i mean Maybe watch watch what he's doing. Uh, come 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 April May, we'll we'll, we'll be thinking a little bit differently about about Anthony Davis. Well, we'll see. I I wonder I wonder if it's merely a product of how the Lakers have had a more balanced approach. They don't live or die by AD and LeBron anymore. They they can spread things out a little bit. But um, I I think I I like I like where we're going with this. We we have a lot of big guys in the league. 
a lot of um a lot of different styles of play that have been emerging it's not all no not everybody is desperately trying to force this guard heavy uh play style you got other teams trying to build around a big guy and it's working out for some of these teams here and hasn't turned out into a championship over the past few years like we mentioned before at you can't name the last time a championship team had a center as their best player, had a center at a max deal. You'd have to go as far back as Shaq. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless, I mean, unless, I guess you could consider... Unless you add Dirk into the conversation. You could maybe do He's that. playing the... At that point, he's playing the four. Yeah. He's playing the four. Same thing with Tim Duncan. He's playing mostly the four. Um, but to have, to have someone at the center position be your best guy, have a bruising inside player and beads would be the first guy and Jokic. i mean that i don't even know how you classify him. he'd be the first guy since like oscar robertson to, to be that type of player um but let's talk a little bit now about the uh all-star game you want to nominate some new guys and i want to hear it. who's who's some guys you got on your list here that are deserving of their first selection Oh man, the, the, this year it's just it it's gonna be it's gonna be cruel on any of these guys if they are not getting their first All Star pick. But the number one guy for me, don't worry, it's not Julius Randle. He's not my <laughs> list. He's not my number one. The number one guy for me that I think absolutely has to be an All Star this year for the first time is Jalen Brown. Absolutely. I mean, the guy has just been unbelievable all year. He's averaging 27 points, five boards, three and a half assists. His, his percentages are very impressive, shooting above 50 from the field, shooting above 40 from three. This guy has just been has been awesome. And the way he's developed his game, he, he's been doing it every year since he's come into the league. He's just continued to get better and better. And this is the year where he really is breaking out and showing that he is more than just your decent defender and guy who can who – can, uh, who can make a big shot. This guy is becoming an elite player in this league. And if he's not an all-star this year, I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's so Jalen Brown for me is so fun personally, because he's a guy that, um, you know, I've, I've watched since he came into the league and, and for the wrong reasons, honestly, because I'm, I'm a Bulls fan here in Boston and uh, back in their rebuilding days are all about Jalen Brown, all about this guy. And, and, you know, I, I wasn't a hater, but when, when I watched him play, I kind of was like, oh, he's he's athletic, he's defender, he can't really shoot, doesn't really have a handle. And just, I, I could point out all these kind of holes in his game that, that, you know, he would have to do a lot in order to become a star. And he's done all those things. Every single, if you look at his, uh, at his rookie scouting report, you look at his, his uh, draft report, you know, every single weakness that he's had, he's become good, if not elite at, and not, not a lot of uh, basketball players in the association can make that same claim. Like a lot, a lot of these guys, even the best players in the league, like they've maybe, you know, they've, a lot of them have filled out their game and stayed elite at what they do. But Jalen Brown has gone from, I mean, being a bad ball handler, he's not a go-to ball handler to being, he can play the point. He can run your offense off the bench. He can, really take it to the best defenders in the league he's got a really good crossover that he did not have even two three years ago um to see his game develop in this i mean he absolutely deserves it and it'll be tough because um you know you're gonna want to see bradley beal in there for sure 
Um, and another guy that I would really love to see in there. You know what? I was going to say it. <laughs> I mean, Zach Levine. But it's going to take a lot more team success. So I didn't officially put him down when we were talking about this, but it, it'll take more team success for Zach Levine to be considered. But his defense has been solid this year. So I can't say the same about how how he's made that into an elite talent for him, but he's looked good defensively. His defensive numbers have definitely all increased across the board. His efficiency has gone way up. And the way that he scores, you know, the fact that people still think that he's a dunker, like tells me a lot. When I, when I see that on Twitter, I'm like, you clearly don't watch, you don't watch enough bowls because this guy is arguably one of the best top five, at least uh, shot makers in this league. Like he gets it whenever he wants it. Um, but for the all-star game, he's going to have to hope the, the bulls do a little bit more to help him out. But, uh, I'm, I'm curious, what other nominations you got out here? Are we, are we going East and then jump to West? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stay, we'll stay, we'll stick with the East. I, I, I do, I do have Julius Randle down. I don't think he will get one, <laughs> but he, he I, looks I good be, though. He looks like an all-star, at least against the bulls. <laughs> I got to drop a bit of respect on his name because he, he, he's, been, he's been really impressive for the Knicks, of course. He's not doing as well as Zach Levine, and the Knicks are struggling uh, every bit as much as the Bulls are. But he's averaging 22 points, 11 boards, six assists. The guy is he's not far off shooting uh, 40% from three. He's, uh, he's just below 50 from the field, and he's, he's shooting really consistently from the free throw line. He, he, he's been everything for, for the Knicks this year, and I think he... Uh, in, in another year, he, he might be considered. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be enough for him this year, but just got to drop some respect on, on his name for, for the, way he's, uh, the way he's played so far this year. But one guy I think is a bit of an outside shout because of just the unbelievable play of, of the main man on his team. But I have, I have Tobias Harris down mm. uh, as, as, a, as a guy that, that, that would deserve from his play on the court to be in the All-Star game. He's averaging 20.7 boards, three assists, and his, his percentages, he's, he's, having a, he's having a comfortable 50-40 uh, year, and he's, he's not far off getting up to that 90% uh, target from the free throw line. This guy has been super efficient, and he's come up in key moments for this Philly team, and I really, I think he's really pushing hard to be considered an all-star in the Eastern Conference this year. Absolutely. He's a guy that I actually had on there. And the interesting thread to this is I think he, if he's in, I think Ben Simmons is out. Absolutely. Look, there's there's so much uh, continuity in the all-star game, which I, I hate. I, I love seeing you guys make it there. But I think uh, Ben Simmons, although he's been um, great for his role, Tobias Harris has just had a, albeit quiet, I mean, people haven't talked about it, but I mean, for all the 76ers success that we deservedly so attribute to Joel Embiid, you can't have that conversation about the 76ers being dominant when they're healthy without talking about how Tobias Harris has been a dynamite, efficient scorer. And he does it on both ends. I mean, they were playing playing him on Anthony Davis for many stretches when they were in their win over the Lakers. Um, he gets tough wing assignments every single night. Um, he... He does have a chance. I, I, like, I like him getting there. He, he deserves it. It's, it's been a few years now for him to be this good of a player. He had an off year last year, but he, he definitely deserves it. Um, another outside shot 
what do you think of uh your boy Colin Sexton? Does he have the chance? I mean, he's been electric, electric. It's not been quiet, it's been electric how he's impacted the Cavs and shown the league that he's he he's a bull. He's a young bull. Can he get in this year? Why not? I, I mean, I, I have I have his name down here on my list as well. I think the guy has been has been awesome, and the fact that he's doing it, he's doing it on, on, on big stages. When he obviously playing in Cleveland, the way that they are at this very moment, he doesn't get too many chances to, to do it on the big stage. But I mean, he he is coming up big in, in games against the likes. Obviously, that 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 Nets game was the big one. But this guy is stepping up all year and. Why not? Like he he's been that fun, that young, fun guy who's really coming into his own this year. And I think that's something that the All-Star game is supposed to recognize. So yeah, I would love to see see Colin Sexton in there. The guy is averaging 24 points, uh, four assists, and the percentage-wise, he's he's right up there. He's shooting uh, 50% from the field. He he's into the 40% bracket uh, from three-point land, and that's never been a strong point of his. So that's something obviously he he has worked on and he's shooting consistently from the line as well because he, he likes driving to the basket. So he's going to get fouled a lot and he's going to get to the line. He has to be consistent from there. And that's, and he's, he's just showing everything that the Cavs thought that they had when they drafted him. And it's just kind of the question now, can he drive on? But in terms of uh, all-star game this year, I think I would love to see him in there because I think that, he's kind of in that spot where you just kind of want to see him get that because he's just that, that young guy that you always kind of hope there's one of them in a, in every all-star game that they, that that's just kind of the good feeling that gets in, you know? I, I want to see, I want to see Colin Sexton on the all-star game playing full court defense, jumping around for offensive boards, throwing his body into the trees. Like he would be so fun in an all-star game. So fun. Um, so I, I like, I like talking about it more about who we'd like to be in there, to be honest. So when I think about it, cause you know, so much of this is political, so much of this is fan voting, which I, I still hate. Like, I, I think it's cool. You know, you give the, the fans a vote, but you know, it's, so much of that is so subjective, but, um, I, I want to jump to the, to the West. Cause I think typical of the West that it's always so packed. Um, the guy that we wanted to make the all-star game so bad was CJ McCollum, but, Unfortunately, that that foot injury. He was the hottest player in the league, starting out. But what do we think about guys like Brandon Ingram, John Moran, Zion Williamson? Real, real young talent. Brandon Ingram hasn't sniffed an All Star game ever in his career. I, I think the the fact that his his name is being mentioned. Was he an All Star last year? Was he was he an All Star? Am I crazy? Brandon Ingram was there. Yeah, well, he, he had to be that that most improved year he had. He, yeah, he was an all-star in 2020. Was he reserve? Yeah, I think so. He definitely wasn't a starter anyway. But yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure he was a reserve, yeah. Look it up. You got to get your facts here, man. Come on. I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think that, uh, I was going to say that for him, he, he was an all-star last year. You're crazy. Oh, I am crazy. That's nuts. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm behind the times. I, I I don't have to campaign for Brandon Ingram right now. Because <laughs> we I can talk. We can still talk Pelicans. We'll talk. We'll talk Zion. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll tell you why I don't want Zion in the All Star game. 
I don't think he deserves to be in the All-Star game. For everyone saying that he should be in it. His defense has been way too bad this year. He's been way too inconsistent on the boards. He's been scoring just great. I, I've been very impressed with, with how he scored despite um, the issues of spacing, despite the, the, the just the lack of, of synergy on the offensive end. But the all-around game, and I think this is something that the All-Star game doesn't always reflect, but if you're going to be a reserve, you're getting, you're, you're getting not voted in by the fans. It's not as subjective. It's a little more objective. It's more about um, what, what you impact on the, on the floor. And I don't think Zion has, has shown a real impact on his team. And you can see it in their record. He hasn't played any defense. He hasn't crashed the boards like he was last year. And I, I honestly feel like the effort's not there. I, I don't see that same, that same energy that he had last year that he had in Duke. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not seeing it from this year. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, definitely agree with you. I think it's kind of a guy that you probably, if you're, if you were a betting person, you'd probably bet on him. It's more likely that he will get in just because of, of the name and the fun things that he can do. But yeah, overall, I definitely don't think this, this has been an all-star year out of him. One guy who has is having an all-star year uh, is another outside feel-good show, but your boy Chris Christian Wood. <laughs> he, he he's been he's been incredibly impressive and I, I think it would be as a reserve no doubt but I, I would love to see him get a notch uh, or at least be in the conversation for an all-star berth it, uh, this season yeah I think what's been impressive about Christian Wood is I I tied a lot of his his uh, potential success to James Harden um, how prolific James Harden is with rolling uh, pick and popping big men. Um, but for him to continue to do so and not only just be a pick and roll guy, he's, he's shown that he has some ability to play on the wing. He's, he's shown that he can face up and you can just hand him the ball and let him go to work. And that's, that's part of his game that you didn't see before. And I, I think it's, it's surprising. Um, but then w- when he starts to do it consistently, you see it over the course of the year, maybe he doesn't make it this year, but if he has a whole season, with the Rockets of being um, not just a pick and roll big, a pick and pop big, a, a shot blocker here and there, but a go-to scorer. Um, that's not just huge for the Rockets to have found a diamond in the rough there, but he could definitely be vaulting himself into um, discussions for an all-star. I, I could see that. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who else, who else you got from the West? In, in the West, it's tough. I think a lot of this is going to come down to continuity. I think the the biggest biggest name that I, I had was CJ McCollum. And it was, I mean, I can't harp on it enough. Like for, for players out in the West that have been successful for so long, that have been um, really at the top of their game, you know, there's just so much talent out there. So now that it's balanced out, he finally had his shot. He just didn't, he couldn't stay healthy. And um I'm not, I'm not too keen on uh, any other guys that I want out there except for John Morant. John Morant is that guy. He's doing what I don't think Zion is right now. Z- Zion isn't making that same team impact. John Morant is right now at 20 years old. He's a superstar. I mean, this guy is not dragging the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies, um, we can talk about them at some point, but um, for this young, exciting team, John Morant at such a young age 
is turning them into a serious competitor in the West. I mean, they, they face tough competition all the time. And John Morant is a floor general. He's a two-way player. He's proven that he can shoot the ball. He's proven that he can score at every level and play make for everybody around him. So the impact that he's had on a team that is up and coming, I think deserves an all-star nod. It deserves that, that recognition. Look at what Trey Young did. I mean, I think Trey Young got that, that all-star nod because of his youth, because of his impact on a, on a young team. Maybe the Hawks weren't that successful, but um, for, for the Grizzlies, I would put him in that same category for John Morant. Yeah, I think that that's that's definitely a fair a fair uh, fair argument for why he should be in there. I think maybe even this year might just be a year where people might argue that we just haven't got to see enough of him, just due to that little injury had, and obviously the Grizzlies have been a bit of a, a nightmare with uh, with issues with with, with COVID nineteen. So I think maybe this year might be the year where he he doesn't get in, and and people are kind of questioning why he hasn't got in, and. From from next year on, I think he's going to be a star in the uh, in the All Star game o- over the next decade. One guy I have as a little bit of an outside shout on a team that we've kind of all forgotten about is is Shea Gilgis Alexander. Oh, okay. I think like okay, see, I think no one really think is thinking about them after after last year. Obviously, they had that great year. Alexander had his breakthrough season, and this year he he's really continued on even without without Chris Paul. I think just the fact that he's playing for the OKC will maybe be a reason why he doesn't get in, which just, just sounds crazy because they are having a fairly solid year despite everyone believing that they were committing to a rebuild. But I'm just liking what I'm seeing out of this guy. He had his great year last year. A lot of people put that down to Chris Paul, but now Chris Paul's gone and he's he's carried the baton. He, he's, he's continued to to show his talent on the court and I think he's having another another great season. I, I agree with that. And I think that's a, that's almost like a Zach Lafine thing, right? Like you, you have players on bad teams that are individually successful and it's, it's tough to, to crack an all-star game. Um, and I don't know if we should change, should, should that be something we change? Cause I mean, these, these teams that don't get the recognition from winning, they still have these talents and like these talents just get hidden by, by lack of team success. And the whole point I feel like of the all-star game is to, show the best talents of the league irrespective of team success so guys like that definitely deserve a chance and um you know again the all-star voting is, is so skewed i mean if you think about it last year i think taco fall was like top five or sixth or something in in <laughs> in voting like there's there's sometimes no rhyme or reason to some of the ridiculous internet voting we get out of it um but last last guy we should probably mention is your boy Devin Booker, does he turn it around? Does he get into the All-Star game? I believe he was uh, – he got the nod last year because uh, so, someone got hurt. Right? I can't I can't remember. My, my, my All-Star memory apparently is a, a little <laughs> hazy from last year. I mean, I love Devin Booker. You know that? Our fans know that because I, I always like to talk him up. But he has not had a great year. He, he's looking like he's kind of sort of – pushing towards a bit of a bounce back uh, over the last couple of games. But I don't think, I think he's another player that might just get in kind of based off reputation more, more than anything as a reserve now, definitely not as a starter, but he has not had as good a year as he was, as he had last year uh, so far this season. He's, he's sort of 
moving towards a bounce back, as I said. But based off just his performances so far this year, I would say he should not be in the team. But just based off the way with the fan voting and all, I think there's probably a, a decent chance that he probably will get in. So let's uh let, let's transition here. Um, let, let's talk about a guy that we all thought one day would have been an all star. Lonzo Ball. We talked a little bit before about the dysfunction of the Pelicans, how the team just doesn't look right. And I think a big part of that is this guy, Lonzo Ball, last year in the bubble, he looked terrible. Before that, he was having a career year in shooting. He was having a career year in assists. And he was, as always, elite defensively. He was a guy that you looked at on this Pelicans team as being future um, floor general, going to be a great pairing next to Zion, next to Brandon Ingram. Then you get the bubble. His career lows. Looks terrible. This year, that seems to have continued. Um, That's led to a lot of trade talk. That's led to more more of the same for Lonzo's career, being questioned whether he can be even a starter. For a guy who's drafted so high, he's being questioned even being a starter. And before we talk about potential trades here, um, you know, I, I have a very strong feeling that the Pelicans are going to sell very low on a guy who I don't think is really right for this system. Um, do you think the Pelicans should be moving off of him so quick? It, it, it is, it's tough to say. You think, you think they might be able to have that a little bit more patience because this is obviously it's still a very young team. Their two stars are both young players, so they're, yeah. they're, it's not like they're they're a must win now uh, a must win now team. So yeah, of course, of course they lost Davis last year. They got all the, the the players from from the Lakers and they got the picks and they drafted Zion Williamson. Ingram, of course, showed up what a talent that he was last year, win the most improved player, but. Alonzo, you just, I don't know what it is with him. I think definitely still has uh, an impact on, on his career and probably will on the mellow too, that, that nut job of a father that they have. But the way the way he plays, I think if you can find the right home, he could be such an impactful player in this league. It's just, it's just been a struggle so far in the, in the early years of his career to just find a situation that really suits him. So... I think if they truly believe he's not the guy, yeah, why not move move on and make and make a play for 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 another player? I think it tells me that they value Nikhil Alexander Walker and their rookie, who's barely seen the floor, Kira Lewis, more. They they value the, their prospects more than Lonzo, and I think what that further tells me is that you know they believe that. His success last year was a blip. Blip in the radar didn't mean actual progression. And I, I wonder how much of that is real. You know, it, you guys guys will say that they that teams know their their players better than most. But how often do you see a Victor Oladipo? You see a Demonte Sabonis. You see guys who are given up on by their teams and they go blossom elsewhere. And I think that could definitely happen with Lonzo. So it, it's a, it's going to be an interesting trade market where. You know, I think a lot of teams will approach the Pelicans and say, "Hey, th- this guy, he, he's a he's a project. He can barely shoot. Sure, he can play defense. Sure, he can he can play uh, 
you can do a little bit of playmaking, which I think is a little, not a little, it's a lot overblown. I mean, Lonzo's best talent as a passer right now is in the open court is um, it's, it's not in the pick and roll. It's not in the half court. He's not been successful in doing that because again, he can't shoot. He can't create his own shot here. So um, the trademark is going to be tough. And I have, I have a few interesting, interesting ones here. I want to run this one by you. You're the Clippers. I call you up. I want Patrick Beverly for Alonzo Ball. Straight up swap. No picks involved. Does that sound interesting to you? You get the defender. You get that same level of defense. I mean, Patrick Beverly is is prime time for his antics. You know, I, I think he gets so much of a rep because of his uh, because of his personality and you know how he gets into guys, not just physically but mentally. Alonzo's not that guy, but in terms of actual defensive value, Alonzo definitely brings that same level of value. Um, depending on just how high they are on, on their the guards that they have still in the team, I think you're probably pushing for a pick from, from the Clippers in that deal. Whether the Clippers would be willing to make that, whether it would really make that much of a difference, is, is it's it's hard to know, but I think that would be kind of the question. Maybe you'd even look at possibly asking for, for Lou Williams as well, looking for both Beverly and, and Lou Will for, for Lonzo Ball. But it would definitely be one that would be interesting. But I think that for the Clippers, you've got to give up something more than just Patrick Beverly. So, oh, so you're saying, all right, so the table's a turn. You're saying that you're if you're the Pelicans, the Clippers call you, you're saying you want more. And I think that's fair. Maybe Josh Hart. Does Josh Hart get that done? Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball for Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly. You get in a couple, couple of uh, guys that can stretch the floor. Patrick Beverly plays that defense. Lou Williams. Who better to actually uh, train up Nikhil Alexander Walker than Lou Williams? Yeah, I think that that would be a much more a much more. Uh favorable deal for, for the Pelicans. I think that's definitely a, a, a one that they would they would they they'd seriously consider about making that move. Yeah. Yeah, you you've seen Lou Williams uh, struggle a little bit this this year. Uh, but he's he still has the ability to score. And I think maybe in a position uh <laughs> I mean it'd suck for him to to get shipped off to New Orleans when both these guys are expecting to be contending with the Clippers. But um at least they won't have any trouble if they go to the bubble having him uh, escape. Might be a little easier without him. Yeah. So who, who else have we got here? Any any other trade ideas for Zoe? I think he could go in a lot of places here. Yeah, there's definitely there's there's more more than a few uh, a few suitors out there, and I think one I'm looking at is possibly the Houston Rockets. I'm looking at they the, the Rockets have got a few bits of talent that are on expiring deals. So I think they, if unless they know that these guys want to commit to Houston, they might look to move them on. So I'm looking here at Victor Oladipo and possibly uh, a first pick to the Pelicans for 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 Alonzo Ball. All right, you're call, all right, so I'm 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 the Rockets. What what are you you're asking me for, Victor Alonzo, Oladipo? I'm act, I'm at, if. Sorry, yeah, the Rockets I'm, I'm are... Here, so you're asking me for Victor and a pick? Yeah. 
because I think that ah, I don't know way. I I think the Rockets are trying to collect picks. I mean, I think I think you can get that done if if the because the Rockets are going to be wanting picks. They're they're in pick collecting mode, and I I think they're definitely keen on on selling uh, Oladipo before he goes. But I, I do I do like. I do like Lonzo's fit in in Houston though. So let 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 let's get this done. You you give me Lonzo. I give you Oladipo. But I'm gonna need a first and a second rounder. Oladipo is a. He's he's still a star. He is. I just think I I was just I was looking at it the fact that maybe Houston know that they they need to move him on and they want to get a, a good a good piece in return for him. Maybe even. They added in possibly Tucker or maybe some other expiring contract within the Houston team. And then you get Ball and the first and second rounder. That's interesting. I don't know. I think, I think the, I think when you, that that's an interesting trade that will definitely be discussed down the road. I, I, I really have a strong feeling that, that Houston's going to find a deal for that. I think they're going to, they're going to push for, for more value there. I'm gonna to have to stop you there. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what what do you what do you make of uh, the Bulls talk for for Zoe? Yeah, it's, it's, I know, it's, I know how I, I feel about it, it, it. It's been there's been a lot of links there, but I think it, it, it could be an interesting move. It, it would just kind of depend what what the Bulls are, are looking to uh, looking to move on from. And and one guy that is kind of in the question is possibly. Larry Markkinen. Yeah. Yeah, so, that, that's an interesting thing for me, too. Because, you know, Lowry's playing well offensively. He's playing uh, not so well defensively. But to have that shooting next to Zion, that's got to be pretty enticing. Um, Lonzo, on the other hand, brings exactly what the Bulls need. You need playmaking. Um, and you need defense. So, I mean, the, the match there, it works. It's just really tough to give up, like, more so, like giving up on Lonzo, you think, okay, what what's his apex? What what what's my opportunity cost here if I give him up? I think the opportunity cost for missing out on peak Lowry is a lot more than peak Lonzo. You you're, you could be missing out on an inside out star who just wasn't necessarily working out in Chicago. Um, I mean that that's the tough part about rebuilding teams, right? You have a lot of talent, and you let go of some of these guys, and they blossom elsewhere. That hurts to lose that. I mean, look at the Orlando Magic, how much, how much talent they have scattered around the league uh, that they gave up on too early. Um, but honestly, I, I think that gets done. I think the Bulls, if that's a legitimate offer and if the Pelicans sweeten the deal, um, if they add in picks, I, I think that that gets done. I think they're, they're pushing to, to have a more balanced attack. And you get that. You get that with Lonzo. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are probably kind of the main ones. Another team I was looking at was Charlotte. And I guess I would hope, I just hope to God that that doesn't happen. I could not. No, please, please. It would be the best. That would be the best television ever. And, and, and hire, hire LeVar Ball as your color commentator. Every (laughs) night I would watch the Charlotte Hornets and it it would be, it would be Tommy, Tommy Heinsohn and the Celtics on crack listening to lavar ball uh comment on 
the ball brothers playing in Charlotte. <laughs> but that that is interesting. I mean, it, you look how good their uh, their high school team is. Maybe you bet on some of that uh, that family chemistry. Um, <laughs> I had that on here as a joke, but I I, I do wonder. Um, I I've never seen that that type of uh, that's probably that would probably never happen before. Two like lottery type picks brothers on the same team. It would it would be cool, but I think it would just be detrimental to their their careers <laughs> with the, with 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 Levar. But uh, it did it it could be something that that Charlotte possibly explore. I mean, maybe if they they look at giving up possibly Terry Rogier plus plus a few picks. I think Rogier is a guy that can really have a, a a positive impact off the bench. So that would be a decent pickup for for the Pelicans, and and they just get to add to that war chest of uh, of picks All that they time. have. They'd have they'd have two balls, two big balls over there. And you, <laughs> if you got the third one, Leangelo, you're like you're like collecting the dragon balls. You're you're collecting every every ball that you can. Get Lavar over there. I don't know what 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 his wife does. Maybe she, I know she was a basketball player. Maybe you get her in as an analyst. It, it'll just be the ball family club. Lavar can play Michael Jordan after games on the court. <laughs> on a serious note, what about the Warriors? Think about Lonzo Ball and the Warriors. Think about him in Steve Kerr's system. Knows how to pass. Knows how to play defense. He's a smart player on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, you hope he can fix his shot. But Sean Livingston made a living out there with with that style of play. That's almost a, a nice little pipe dream for the Warriors to to add a piece like that, especially if he, he resigns for cheap. Yeah, that, that, that could be. I think Warriors will be a team. They're, they're obviously they're going to look to make some sort of move around the deadline. And while they might not be the biggest splash possible, they would definitely look to to explore any sort of positive deals that can have a positive impact on the rest of their season. What do you? What would you be thinking of the Warriors having to give up to get to get Lonzo? Um, <laughs> this might be a little one-sided, but it depends. Again, it depends on the value. Um, Pelicans are looking for more wing de- defense. They don't have any right now, um, really. Um, Kelly Oubre seems like a really nice pairing alongside Brandon Ingram. You got that that power wing that can play the, the three and the four in Oubre, and you got Brandon Ingram who brings all the finesse and the playmaking and shooting. Oubre doesn't have to, to be this elite shooter that you need him to be in the Warriors for that to work because, I mean, Oubre can't playmake, his cutting's down. Um, I think that swap and you add in maybe a, a Nico Melli to that to, to sweeten the deal, match the contracts. Warriors send a couple second round picks. Sounds yeah, like a moving on. It's interesting. I think it, I don't think the Pelicans are going to value Lonzo too highly. I think they they are looking to move him. So I think uh, the teams kind of coming in for the most part are going to be in the in the stronger position, but those are definitely a, a number of very realistic spot landing spots for Lonzo and ones that could could ultimately be the key for his his career. Uh, just one other guy who uh, we're talking trade talk. It's another Pelicans guy, and that's JJ Redick. He's another guy that's that's looking to uh, that the Pels are possibly looking to move on from. He's had a he's usually just a, an ultimate three point shooter and a quality defender. This year, he's just struggled big time. Mm-hmm. Where do you think he might he might end up? Now, this is going to be an interesting one, um, but I can't think 
of a better team for him to go to than the Milwaukee Bucks. No one better than the Milwaukee Bucks. That's what they're dying for is, is a dead-eye three-point shooter who can really open up the game for Giannis in a way that they haven't had all year. Their, their shooting's been down. They don't have um, George Hill, who was, a, who was one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I mean, that, that was super underrated to lose him and to lose Brogdon. They need to replace that somewhere. And, and J.J. Redick, they have to do everything to get him if he's available. Um, but the ironic thing here is uh, there's, a, there's actually a, a story about it when, when uh, the Bucks had actually traded for him back when he was in Orlando, and he cried when he had to go to Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> so to have him go back to the Bucks again, but I, I think there's no better landing spot for him than to go to the Bucks. It's a contending team. Um, they know what they're doing. Bickerstaff will know how to get him open. He's, he's done his whole career getting these three-point shooters are shot. He got Kyle Korver into the all-star game. Imagine what he can do with um, J.J. Redick. So I think that, that's, that has to be the, uh, the move. We've, I've been looking around and, and trying to see what, you know, what the Bucks could even do to make big moves. But I think it's moves like this, moves like this that are going to – to keep them in contention. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the one team I got down here is possibly Dallas, because he's a he's kind mm-hmm. of a guy that 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 the Mavs could really do it. I think I'm looking at possibly James Johnson and maybe a second round pick to get to get JJ into the Dallas team. I think he'd be able to have a real positive impact on on the Mavericks. It's an area they're struggling with, and it's of course he struggled this year. But when you're when you're a dead eye shooter like him, I think it just takes one game to get you back in your groove. And if you have that, he's going to have a big impact in key moments throughout, throughout the season for you. Absolutely. And these aren't going to be the last guys we talk about um, time and time again. Um, a lot of teams right now are sliding. We, we, we talked about a few of them earlier on, like Lonzo and JJ Redick are not going to be the only guys we, we're going to be talking about. Um, I wonder who's going to be next with, with the Mavs sliding with the heat sliding um, with a lot of other, these teams not being as successful as they want it to be. And uh, be sure to keep talking about all these trades all year long. And who knows, maybe Lonzo just, just sticks it out and stays there. It's going to be a tough situation for him. Um, And I think it's really um, ironic the way that LaMelo ball has had a lot of success in his rookie year and kind of looking like this blossoming future star. And then on the other end of it, Lonzo is being dangled in the trade market after his uh, second team. If, if he's going to end up on his third team before he's even signed his first big contract, that's going to be big disappointment for him as Lamella's balling over there. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it's a weird situation. It must be weird in, in, in the, in the ball household at, at, at this time, but I think I'm sure, sure the ball, the bar is probably telling him that he's uh He's got to demand a trade, just like just like Lamelo when he got <laughs> when he got uh, dropped out for one game. You know, crazy. Oh, okay. It's a crazy family. Whether it will all come together for them, whether it's going to be a negative throughout their careers, who knows? But it's always interesting, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll have lots more trade talk to get through before the deadline. But I think we've got all the big topics covered so far today, and I think. Um, we got to just enjoy the basketball being on the court. We look forward to the All-Star game and the trade deadline. Maybe we'll see another big one. Maybe Beal will cop on and, and ask for a trade after saying he wants to stay. 
who knows but until then until next time it's been a pleasure see you around man. joining us on today's episode of coast to coast don't forget to hit us up on instagram and twitter at coast to coast nba podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show and remember take every shot and love every moment